laid on your heart, brother. Well, when Buffy asked me to come, the first thing I thought was, him and Jimmy must be out. <laughs> like, because they got two preachers in this house, they don't need another one to come in. It's the first in New Year, and some pastors, they don't want to be out in the pulpit the first New Year. So, thanks for the privilege to come. And um, talking about singing, <clears throat> I tell somebody, I tell people a lot, if I had a gift that I want, I, I'd sometimes, if you ever just say, God, can you give me a different gift? I tell people a lot of times, I'd rather sing than preach. I really would. I mean, I, I was like, God, you gave me the wrong gift. But anyway, um, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. As I travel and speak to Christian schools and churches and youth events and youth rallies, um, I have one major burden. Um, if anybody knows anything about our nation, our nation is not in a good shape right now. Amen. Yeah. You know, and it kind of gets me sometimes when people talk about the president and all that kind of stuff. Let me, I'm not a big historical person, so I don't know a whole lot, but I've studied some of the history of our nation. I've studied some of the things that happened... <clears throat> there's really never been a president that's really ever changed our nation. Amen. Because reality is you cannot legislate morality. That's right. Think about that. Mm-hmm. You cannot legislate. If you could re- legislate morality, then the question is why are prisons so full? That's right. You can't correct corruptness, right? That's right. And so the reality is, is when people start getting all up on a president, I'm like... What does it matter? Yes, we need a good president in office, and we need somebody with good morals, good values, but the reality is there's no presence ever changed our nation. And so I begin to people talk about that. It kind of burdens me. And then let me also ask this question. And I'm not trying to put them on the spot, but I'm trying to make a point here. Does anybody remember what Buffy and Jimmy, either one preached in the month of October? Luke, Luke. Luke, okay. Hey, y'all, good church. Okay, okay what chapter? Actually, actually, they're wrong. They're wrong because we were in the names of God. We finished Luke in August. So, see, they don't remember. Oh, see, there's so. point is made. So. so, my point is made, right? So, the reality of what I'm trying to say is this. Most sermons we hear, what do we do? We forget it, right? Right. I mean, for, I mean, the reality, truth is, right? I mean, if you, I mean, you can go back and say, I remember that Zach sermon that Buffy preached in October, even November. How many of you forget two Sundays later what the preacher preached on? Some forget to five minutes later when I preach. What I preach, I have no idea. I'm like, I just yelled at you for thirty minutes, and you forgot. And I'm like, that really boosts your ego, right? <laughs> and so I'm going to realize that you know, most people forget what we preach. You know, the reality is today that, that the reason churches are empty because I'm going to be honest with you because I try to speak to students. And most people think church is boring. And the reality is, I have to agree, sometimes church becomes boring. And I'm going to be honest, I'm a preacher, and there's times I think, man, it's boring being in churches. So the reason that people don't want to come to church, you don't want to go to churches because they think church is a bunch of boring things. But I'm going to say something. But I believe what's going to change our nation is going to change our churches. We need something. And we're going to turn to Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. If you've got it, 
That's great. And before I need to make this before we get going, if you're a student or maybe you just want some um, some education, I uh, graduated or they let me out. I like people say they let me out. At Mid America Seminary, y'all had Doug preach here back in uh, not too long ago. He was my professor that I failed Greek, and so let you know that he. I tell him he failed me, but no, he didn't. I'm not that smart. But anyway, so I failed Greek. But if you want to go to uh, a college. Um, when I travel, I've been asked to kind of help promote Mid America. They got a college, kind of like University. If you're interested in that, come see me afterwards, and uh, and I can give you some information on that. But we're going to get rolling. Luke chapter eight, verse forty. It says, "And as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for they all had been waiting for him." Have you ever had somebody been waiting on before? I mean, you have family members that come into town for Christmas. You've been waiting on them. Now, I know some of you, you wouldn't wait on your family members. You're waiting for them to leave, right? Because <laughs> they just leave would be best. But have you ever had the expectation of waiting on somebody? I know sometimes we don't like waiting, but waiting on people could be a great thing, when, especially somebody you really want to see, right? They were waiting on Jesus. They were waiting on Him. And in verse 41, there came a man named Jairus. Who is Jairus? Jairus is a synagogue leader. He's kind of like a deacon, an elder. He's kind of like high up in church. He's, a, uh, he's just one of these kind of guys in church, you guys, and high up in the temple. A Jairus, a synagogue. Listen, a Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet. So Jairus, man, his church leader, his, this, this synagogue leader, he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. I mean, he just, just drops at his feet. And he asked something because how many of you know there are a lot of people we pray because we want something, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people, is, I forgot who made the statement, we pray out of need, not for the glory of God. That's right. That's right. A lot of times we pray because we want God to do something, not because we just want to spend time with God. That's right. Some of you students, you can say that to your parents. Sometimes the only time you talk to your parents because you want something, right? right. Not because you want to spend time with them. I mean, I thought I'd throw that out there. Like, only time I, mom's gonna have this, mom's gonna have that, and I just wanna spend time with you. Well, the reality is, that's the way most Christians are. We never pray till something happens, that happens when we decide to pray. So here's this Jairus, the synagogue, synagogue official. He falls his feet and begins to implore him to do what? To come to his house, right? He says, Jesus, if you don't mind, come to my house. But why does he want him to come to his house? Because he has a need in verse 42. For you a daughter, about 12 years old as she was dying. So most of you, you know, I travel in different places, but most of you know that a couple of years ago, not last year actually, that I walked through a journey with Jason, Deanne, and Jackson Huey as he began to go through cancer. And I remember when I first talked to the family and just the brokenness and tears they had of the son being diagnosed with cancer. And like any parent, you find out your son's got cancer, especially it's a stage four, which is actually the last stage of cancer, and you finally got cancer, what are you going to start doing then? You're going to start praying, God, I need your help, right? You may not pray all year long, but when you find out and start praying, this is synagogue, he's got a child, he's got a baby. I've never had a child, so I don't know what it means to be by a child, but I mean, I just imagine Jimmy gets a phone call that his son has got sick. I'm pretty sure in that moment that Jimmy's going to begin to cry out and beg out for God to, to come, right? And he says, if you don't mind, come to my house. And then also, he said, the crowds are pressing against him. So now, Jesus always had followers, people following him, but a lot of times people follow him for the wrong motive. A lot of times we follow Jesus for the wrong motive. Yeah. The same ones that said, Bless you who comes in the name of the Lord, I, 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 uh, maybe a, a couple of chapters later, are saying the ones who say, Crucify him. So he always had a crowd around him, but always, when not everybody was following around him, had the right motives. And verse 43, and a woman who had hermits for 12 years. So Jesus starts away the way. He's going to Jairus' house. 
He's on the way to Jairus' house. How many of you ever started going somewhere and you got sidetracked and, 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 and got on track? Anybody done that? How many students told your mom and dad you're going to do something and all of a sudden Xbox came in the way and you got sidetracked? <laughs> like, I, I forgot. I mean, this Xbox. And so, the Jairus is, is on the way, and Jesus on the way to Jairus' house, and Jesus on the way, and it says there's a woman who had hermits for 12 years. She has a blood issue for 12 years. And so, Jesus is on this way, and it said this, and she could not be healed by anyone. She's been a doctor, she's been a physician. I'm not against doctors. I'm not against physicians. I'm not against those things. I'm not against medication. But she's tried it all. She's been through all that. She's basically left for dead. I think about my grandmother. My grandmother, uh, I'm giving a show of testimony Wednesday night to you, group, but my grandmother was a, a, a golly lady. My grandmother was a prayer warrior. I'm talking about, I remember when I used to be in the world, get ready to go out and get drunk and go out and do things. My grandmother would like, would not let me leave. <laughs> like, you cannot leave this house, so I wrap my arms around you and pray for you. I'm like, I got to go. No, I'm praying for you. I'm like, okay. And so, I mean, she was a god. And I remember she got down with, with cancer. And they put on what they call the hospice program. You ever heard of the hospice program? That's like the last stage before death. When you have somebody got the hospice program, they're about to die. This woman, which you probably put on the hospice program, she's basically just a doctor and everything and said, just go home and die. And this woman is sitting there by the roadside. She's weak. She's frail. She's got blood issues. She's, she's, I mean, she's sitting by the roadside. I'm pretty sure that how many people walked past her and probably didn't give her any attention, any kind of mind. I think about yesterday. I was at Starbucks and, and I was... Um, I was eating, hanging out with a friend of mine from church, and, and you know when you go to these places, there's always these different people coming, like every time, I always ask the same thing. Homeless people, or maybe these people just, just trying to get money, you know, you kind of know it, right? You kind of like this, and I finally just got mad. I was like, look, I don't want to give you no just get away. Anyway, one guy actually did pray for I was going to be kind and pray for him and witness him. But, but I mean, you ever had that happen? And so you think about this woman, I mean, she's sitting there, and I wonder how many people just kind of walked past her and just kind of like gave her the, you know, the nose up, like, you know, you're just, uh, nobody would have, and listen, it says this, in verse 45, now, go back to verse 44. And she heard that Jesus coming down the road and came up behind him. So Jesus was walking down the road. She came up behind him and touched the friend of his car. So Jesus is bypassing her and she sees him. And she reaches out and she grabs a hold of Jesus. Kind of like a little, he had a robe in the back then. And, says, well, robe, and she grabbed a hold of the cloth of his robe. And the Bible said, listen, and verse, I like what the Bible came up behind him and touched the friend of cloth. And the Bible said, what? Immediately. It didn't say five years later. Immediately. Tommy Tenney in one of his books, he writes, one moment the presence of God changes everything. That's right. I'm talking about like, it wasn't ten years later. Like she touches cloth and immediately the Bible says she's completely healed. There's sometimes, man, we'll pray for things and it's ears and it's ears and it's ears before God answers. But there's sometimes you may pray for something and right there God answers. And I agree with Thomas Jane. One moment the praise God changes everything. This woman, one moment she grabs a hold of it and the Bible said immediately right there she's completely healed. And then look at verse 45. And Jesus said, who touched me? He just stops the crowd. Like, who touched me? I think it's kind of comical. I think it's kind of, uh, it really is kind of funny here because, and while they all denied it, I didn't do it. <laughs> How many students have ever done that for you? 
He did. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Y'all, y'all, y'all know y'all. Like, like you, you remember that? Like she said, who touched me? No, like I didn't do it. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> I just came to church because my wife made me. <laughs> I just came to church because a few years I'm going to start a new revolution. Resolution to go to church more. And so I just came to church. And let me just make mistakes. I teach students a lot. And there's a great difference between going to church and following Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's a great difference between going to church and following Jesus. A lot of people go to church and don't follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. The reality is you go to church on Sunday morning and be religious. And Billy Graham said 70% of people that go to church are not even going to heaven. And so the truth is, is, the fact is that you can go to church but not know Jesus. And so they're all denying it, saying, you know, I just can't. And I like Peter. Because, you know, talking about zeal, like Peter got some zeal. Yeah, he does. Like, I'm, I'm from Covenant, right? Like, I speak in all these nice city schools where they got, like, you know, $40,000 cars and slick clothes. And I don't even know how to, like, I'm partially colorblind. I don't know nothing about fashion. So I'm walking up in there, like, you know. And so, anyway, but, like, I'm from the country. I think about Peter from the country. Like, redneck country Peter, right? So I mean, dude got overalls on and got a beard. And, like, I just, I just think Billy, Peter, this big old hillbilly, right? He's probably, like, the most, not a doctor student, not, you know, very smart very wise like I hang around a lot of smart people and I'm like the dumbest one in the crowd and anyway but I think about Peter but Peter got some zeal and Peter one of his folks are always sticking his foot in his mouth have you ever been in a conversation before and said something about I just wish I'd take that word back I have some sermons for and I was like, I wish I could go back and take that sermon back. But I mean, I'm having a conversation and I'm going to kind of sometimes, I just say things, I'm like, what in the world did that come from? You ever had that happen? Like, dude, that was embarrassing, right? And people, I like Peter though. Because Peter, man, he's always, he's got zeal and he's got passion. I mean, he may not be the most smartest guy in the crowd, but Peter just, he gets it. He said, Peter said, Master, you see all these people around you? Like, it don't take a whole lot of sense to realize there's a lot of people around you, Jesus. And you want to say you touch me? Like, I mean, you know, it, like, I mean, I'm not the smartest dude. I'm not a doctor student. I'm not, but I've I, I realized something. There's a lot of people around you. And you want to ask questions, touch me. And this is what Jesus said. Verse 46. But he said, someone did touch me. For I know the power has gone out from me. Can I tell you what me and Jimmy back there talking about this early before service? Can I tell you something's wrong with our churches and with our nation? Can I tell you something wrong? Is we've lost the power of God. Mm-hmm. I, I was showing the guy yesterday. I've been to different countries. I've been to Africa, Philippines. I've been to different countries. And, and, and I have a lot of friends of mine that go on mission trips, stuff like that. And I, But let me just say this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus did not, when he sent him out, he did say go to Judas and Mary and the parts of the world. But we missed something. He didn't say go out. We, you know, we, we, we got, and I'm not against discipleship. I'm not against those things. I, I meet with God now and I think discipleship is good. But let me just say something. We're, we got a lot of head knowledge. We've got a, I mean, we're full of a lot of head knowledge. But let me just make the statement. We're missing one thing. And that's when they, before he sent him out, he said when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon him. One of the things we're missing as a church is sending people out. We're missing the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus left us something with the Holy Spirit. And in church today, we're missing the Holy Spirit and the power of God in church today. Yeah. And Jesus said, Peter, and when Jesus said, I know someone touched me. Because the power is gone out. We miss that. We, we don't have that in the church anymore. The power is gone. I was preaching the other night at Memphis Mission on the story of Samson, and one of the most saddest stories I've ever heard. 
It's bad when God's gone, you know he's gone. It's even worse when he's gone, you have no idea he's gone. And I've traveled a lot of places that God is 10,000 miles from here and they have no idea. So when power for the Spirit comes upon you, and they sit there, so just so much when I know the power is gone off me. Verse 47. And when the woman saw she could not escape, notice she came trembling and fell at his feet, claimed the presence of all the people. While she testified, she'd been immediately healed. He said, Her daughter, your faith. Don't miss that, because I, uh, you know, a lot of people get salvation confused, right? I've had a lot of students come down and say the sinner's prayer and all that kind of stuff. Let me just make a statement. A prayer does not save you. That's right. You can say a prayer all day long. That don't save you. Come in, just coming out on the altar does not save you. What saves you is your faith. Amen. The reality is putting your faith in Jesus. Now, let me just make the statement too, because a lot of people, they say they have faith, but James said, your faith without works is dead. So I can have faith, or I can say I have faith all in God all day long, but I can live like the word, and my faith is really in vain. I was reading Romans, so they knew God, but they did not live for God. So understand, if you have true faith in Him, because the fact is, you're going to live it out. So it's not just kind of faith, I know God's out there. It's a faith, and I'm putting my trust in Him as my Lord and Savior. And the byproduct is Paul said He makes all things new again. So here what happens is, he just told this woman, your faith has made, made you will go in peace. To understand this about peace, I, I'm not, I'm just, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm the most, I'm not the most safest driving world. So ask that to you, ask some students. I remember one night I had some students travel with me, and I was preaching in Arkansas, and, and I made the wrong turn. And I'm going down like the wrong side of the little thing on the interstate, and it was just like, I'm gonna tell my mom. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm like, I'm gonna kill these students right here tonight. And so, I mean, like, I am like, the most probably the most safest driver. Thank God for His grace and mercy to catch me getting where I'm going and get so safe. But I know this if I'm traveling on the road and I can have a car wreck and die, I got peace and I know I'm going to heaven. And so the reality of salvation is you got peace, and there's a lot of people don't have peace about that. And so Jesus said, Your faith is saved, you go in peace. In other words, when you're truly a child of God, you have peace. Like we sang about heaven a while ago. There's some of your emotion in this room that you got problems and issues and struggles, but there's some of you in this room right now. One thing you got peace about is if you took your last breath today, you got peace and know there's a time in your life that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you're going to heaven. There may be a lot of chaos around you. But you know this world's not your home. And you know that when you take your last breath, you know that you're going to heaven. That's peace. Amen. 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 And then he says this. I want to, verse 49. Now, I want to ask you a question. Wanna, how many of you have been following the story? I know some of you lost me probably in the first couple of verses. How many of you still following? Can I ask you a question? Who came and got Jesus to start with? If you don't mind, broken and burdened, he's crying out, come to my house. Now, because Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter. She's about to die, a precious child. And he's begging and pleading, he's come to my house. And Jesus starts on the way, and I'm pretty sure Jairus is kind of encouraged. Have you ever prayed for something, and you saw that God's going to answer it, and you thought, man, God's going to answer this prayer. And halfway, you think, and all of a sudden, the prayer will get answered or gets delayed? How did that happen? I've been praying something like, God's going to answer this. I'm confident, I'm sure. And all of a sudden, God just stopped him. Like, where did that come from? Look at verse 49. Well, they were still speaking. Some of the fish of the house of the synagogue came and said, Your daughter's what? Yeah. 
How many of you remember testimony night in church? We don't have enough testimony nights anymore in the church. How many of you remember coming up in the church? You had testimony night. You can raise your hand. It's fine. Like we don't, we don't. Young generation don't know about testimony. I remember when I was going, we had testimony night. And so somebody got over here. Anybody got testimony, man? Somebody get over here and they say, you know what, man? I pray for God to bless me financially and I got a check in the mail. Nobody gets you happy, right? I mean, they pray for my child to, you know, get cured from cancer, get cured, nobody excited. Because let me just make this statement. Not everybody goes to say to you gets cured. That's right. Not everybody prays for a child to say you get cured. Right. And so we have people, man, I pray that, you know, God will bless me, the boyfriend. And, man, he answered that prayer, and I got a golly, man. And everybody starts clapping, get excited. Like, you know, I mean, for me, it's going to take a miracle. But anyway, I don't know about you, but um, just, <laughs> like, yeah, anyway. So, like, you want to block that out of the video, get scared of it. But, I mean, so true, like, but it's reality, like, you pray, and you, like, and God answers. But let me ask you a question. What about the person who did pray and it didn't answer? What about the person praying that God bless them financially and they're still, they're still struggling? What about the person praying that God will cure their son from cancer and their son died? What about the person who's been praying for that? Because I hang around a lot of single people. They've been praying for help made and they're still single. What about those people? What about Jairus? He just saw a woman get healed from a bloody shoe. Completely healed. This woman's a bastard. She's on the road. She just kind of reached out and grabbed a hold of Jesus. Jesus healed her. Not only Jesus healed her, but Jesus is spending most of his time with her. Have you ever, I'm going to be, I like being honest. Have you ever dealt with self-pity and thinking, God, you love me more than you love me? Because you look at their life and they look to see blessed. And man, the ministers are growing. They're preaching to thousands of people. I mean, they're married with a beautiful wife. You got a great kids. Or man, they got a good boyfriend and girlfriend. And you think, and you think, God, you must love them when you love me because you are looking out for them when you are me. Have you ever dealt with that? I struggle with that sometimes. I'm looking like, God, you mean you care more? Than, I'm praying. I'm doing these things. And the reality is, here it is, is that Jesus has spent most time with this woman. And now these people come to Jairus and your daughter's what? Have you ever had a moment in your life that you've been bitter at God? And I'll be honest, there's been times I've been bitter at God. I remember times riding on the road after getting through preaching and yelling at God, being mad at God. Could you imagine Jairus in this moment? Have you ever, have you ever got off a phone with somebody? I got a conversation with somebody and they said something? It would better off if they just read back and punched in the stomach. Have you ever hung up the phone and thought, it would been better off? Okay, man, they just read back and punched me in the stomach. Or maybe you got out of conversation and thought, it would been better off if they just hit me in the stomach because all my breath is going after me. Could you imagine Jairus' moment? You know, I realize some people leave church, and I understand this. I used to get mad. Why do people don't follow Jesus? Why don't people live for Jesus? And I used to get mad about that. But I understand there's some people that life happens, and they get mad at God and walk away from God. Jairus in this moment, he could have easily got mad at God and said, God, you don't care about me, you don't love me. I pray that you hear my daughter and my daughter died. And sometimes I don't understand why God does those things. But in this moment, Jairus, when he got the news, she's dead, he could have said, I'm done. But look at here. Your daughter has died. You're not trouble to teach anymore. How many of you have ever been in a conversation and they said, just leave him alone? You ever had that happen? How many of your parents embarrass you like that? Like you'll be talking to somebody and your parents say, just leave them alone. Like, that's embarrassing, right? Like, especially when you're in the middle of a conversation. Just leave them alone. Don't, don't bother them. Right? That's what they're telling this Jairus. Like, don't bother Jesus anymore. Like, he don't care. Don't bother him. Quit praying. Quit seeking. And Jesus tells the opposite. Jesus says, Luke chapter 18, do not stop praying. Keep on praying. Mm-hmm. 
Like even when it don't seem like it's going to just keep praying. How many of you ever heard of Lisa Turpin? You ever heard of her? A great woman speaker. She just went through like a almost divorce. I mean, she went, she's been praying and see God. And so like God's going to restore that marriage. Sometimes we just got to keep praying. And it says in verse 50. But when Jesus heard this, he answered, Do not be afraid. Only what? Believe. I had a question. How are you going to believe it? She's dead. <laughs> I realized something. As I'm growing as a Christian, growing as a preacher, growing as a man of God, faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing, right? But sometimes when God speaks, there's things in your life that looks, looks nothing like what God has spoken. Illustration. So, I don't want to freak you out, but to be honest, I've had people in my life who literally, I mean, one lady was an African-American lady, one lady was a light white lady, one was at a church in Memphis, the other one was like in Millington, a prayer meeting. I've had both of them, like we're a prayer meeting, they stop and they would say this, God has got a great and a mighty work to do. And I'm like, give me a jet airplane, I'm going to be a next Billy Graham, right? I'm at, I'm at Faith Baptist when I'm sooner, clean commodes. There's nothing wrong with janitor. And I'm like, Lord, are you sure? Because, I mean, I know cleaning your church is a good deed and good thing, but I, I thought you were really going to have a big plan in my life. And I realized something, that in this moment, in that moment, that I realized, listen, my circumstance looked nothing like what God has spoken. But in the promise of God, sometimes we have to trust God was spoken when nothing looks like what God has spoken. It's easy to have faith when you when you when God speaks something happens. But sometimes when God speaks something, it may be years before it happens. Look at the Bible. God promised Abraham stuff. It was years for it happened. You want to have a child? Yeah, you should wait too long, right? And I realized something. Faith comes by hearing when nothing looks like what God's spoken. Still trust what God's spoken. Jesus said, she's not dead. I don't believe she's dead. He said, be, she's going to be well. This what he go back. Let's go back and look at it again. But he said, Jesus heard this and said, do not be afraid or believe. She'll be made what? She's dead. <coughs> and this is what I've come to preach on, verse 51. When Jesus came, what? Verse 51. When he, who's that Jesus, came to what? Can I tell you what we need in our new generation? Can I tell you what I need in our nation? We need Jesus come to the house. Right. I love preaching and I'm called to preach and I travel and preach. Somebody asked me yesterday, how many times I'm preaching? Sometimes I preach two or three, maybe four times a week. Sometimes maybe, I don't know. I just maybe one time I travel and speak and I love preaching. But I really heard a preacher say this. That preaching would have changed the world. It been changed a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> preaching would have changed the world. It been changed a long time ago. I know this. I've got friends of mine that I know preach the gospel. I've got friends of mine that I know preach the Bible. If preaching would have changed, the would have been changed a long time ago. The reality is, preaching would not, yes, we need to preach, but preaching itself would not change the world. The reality is, the fact is, listen, you cannot legislate reality. You cannot, you cannot change it. What I realize, what we need is, we need Jesus in the house because when God shows up, everything changes. I realized a whole lot easier to go to church when God's there and He's not there. Let me make this illustration. So, I did a youth camp for Holly Grove Presbyterian Church here in Covington in June. 
Wait, are you camp? And the last night of camp, like every night after camp, how many of you after camp, you like to play games? How many of y'all like to play games? They were playing this game called Slap. I don't know, it's like Slap, you just like, like, I don't want to get part of that, right? I mean, but like every night they want to play games. I mean, I had one student, like, I, I got through, I said, what a preacher. I don't know, I'm like, dude! Like, and so, like, it was just kind of like this camp. The last night of camp, the Holy Spirit began to fall. And listen, for about two and a half hours, there's no worship, no preaching, nothing. Students were praying over each other. Students were weeping over each other. And at 1.30 in the morning, I looked at my clock, and these students were still up. These students wanted to play games. These students were doing things. They were weeping, and they are praying over each other. 1.30 in the morning, what happened? It wasn't a great sermon. It wasn't just a great worship team. It was the fact that God showed up, and those students don't want to go to bed. I was in uh, Salisbury, Tennessee, and don't ask me to get the GPS, help me. So I was in Salisbury, Tennessee, and I preached one night, and I was preaching up there, and all of a sudden the same thing happened. Students started praying over each other, started weeping over each other, probably at 30 minutes, an hour or something. And I remember this young girl came up to me afterwards. She came up, actually came up to me afterwards. She came up during the time when students were praying, confessing. She came up, and she was weeping, and she says that she said, I will be saved. What happened? What is my preaching? It's the Spirit of God. Let me share some stories with you. Because what I think is, I love studying revival. My heart is studying revival. Anybody ever heard of a place called Wells? There was a man named Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts was like a, a young 28-year-old man. And Evan Roberts got burned for Wells. Got burned for the young people Wells. And Evan Roberts asked about the president of seminary. He said, what do you think if I go back to my hometown and I preach to young people in my hometown? And this is what the president said. He said, you can learn more in one week of revival than you can in three years of seminary. Evan Roberts went back to his hometown. And he asked the preacher, can he preach? And he gets something like I do sometimes. The preacher said, no, we ain't going to let you preach. <laughs> but he said, what you can do is, if anybody wants to stay after, I'll let you speak after. So, let's just say I get through preaching now. And Buffy gets up and says, you know, Jimmy, you know, since you're not the greatest preacher, just kidding. You know, if anybody wants to stay after and listen to you, you know, they can stay after. The rest of them can go home. And let's just say a couple of students stay afterwards, right? And then listen to Jimmy. That's what happened to Evan Roberts. And then Evan Roberts spoke, and a girl named Floyd Evans stood up and said, I love Jesus all my heart. Let me tell you what happened. Revival broke out. Let me tell you this about revival broke out. I'm talking about whether the service was supposed to start at 2 o'clock, and at 12 o'clock, nobody did the church. Let me ask you a question. What would happen? At Crossway. Next Sunday morning, the service goes started at 10.45. And at 8 o'clock, you can't even get a parking place. You can't even get a seat. Mm-hmm. What happened? It wasn't just Buffy and Don and Jimmy Gray preaching. What happened? God showed up. That's right. The stories that would happen that while people leaving football practice come to church. People, I mean, the drinking house would close down. I remember reading this one story. It was so great. They said the police didn't have anything to do. <laughs> so guess what they went? Crime got so low. This is the judge presented white gloves. Could you imagine America getting crime so low? The judge presented white love, white gloves? Could you imagine crime getting so low? They said, what do the police do? And they said, please go to the crowd. Where the crowd's going, they're going to church. Can I ask another one? How many of y'all remember like the Hebrides revival happened on Island Hebrides? 
Man, I read about these great moves of God, or the first great awakening. Remember the first great awakening, Jonathan Edwards, and second great awakening, George Woodford. Listen, our nation was, was constituted by a move of God. The second great awakening helped end slavery. And if we're going to see a moral change in our culture, we're going to see a shifting in our culture. It's going to happen through a move of God. Let me read something. I'm going to do a lot of reading. Let me read something from the Hebrides of Bible. They said the church was packed with young people. Let me just make this statement. The reason I'm speaking to young people because every great move of God started young people. There's a man named Richard Owen Roberts who's probably one of the greatest voices of revival. And I asked him one time at the conference. I said, I heard revival had an impact upon young people. And he made this statement. He said, no, young people have an impact on revival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is what he said. The church was packed with young and old when the people sang the church chased, chased, chased themselves, chased themselves up and down the spine. I've never heard singing like this before. They sang songs to hearts, the words to heaven and power they could only sense, but it described the singing with, with fire. And then also it comes down here. Not only did they sense the presence of God in the church, but everywhere the conscience of Him. I've been reading stories of people down the field who would get unconvicted in the presence of God. What would happen if God broke out in this church and broke out community? Can I say what I've tried to preach for? I believe the only hope for our church and our generations. If God is not sure, nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was I was preaching in Arkansas a while back, and I was I was I, I was yelling, screaming, and doing everything, and 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 I got through preaching, and I asked one of the students what I preached on. He had no idea, and I just got burdened. I was driving back, and I was like, God, this is so discouraging, and frustrating, and, and and God just spoke to me as I was driving back to Arkansas. I said, Don, unless I show up, nothing's going to happen. And I called my friend, Lane Johnson, Life Action. I said, explain something to me. I need to know something. I said, can you describe me the presence of God? He said, that's what they call the omnipresence of God. Omnipresence of God is mean God is in this room right now. We have no ideas in there. How many of you have been in a room with somebody you had no idea there? You ever been there before? Like, I didn't know you were here, right? I mean, I, I, so the omnipresence of God is where God is in the room. We have no idea. But he said, that's what they call the manifestation. Of God's presence. And that's where you know it's there. Mm-hmm. Psalm 16 said, In your presence the fullness of joy. Can I just make this statement? I've been, uh, J-Rod's back there, man. I've been the most drunkest dude in, in Tiffany County. I've been in the most craziest places. But there's been no more joy and more gladness than being in the presence of God. There's been times I've been in church and I didn't want to go home. I'm like, just keep me here days in and days out. Why? Because it wasn't just some kind of church or it wasn't coming to religion. God was in that place. Let me share a story with you. How many of you have ever heard of Brooklyn Tabernacle? If you want to read a book, let me just challenge you to go read a book. The first start in you ever change your life. Called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Jim Simula from Brooklyn Tabernacle. Goes, I don't think he has any education much. And maybe some college. But he got burdened for this church. Ten member church. Ten members in Brooklyn, New York. How would you like to pastor there? Mm-hmm. Not, a rough, not a good place to pastor, father, right? He got a burden for this church. And he started a prayer meeting. With ten, only ten people in the church. Can I tell you something? I, I've been, I've been jealous. I have friends of mine to go out there. I've never been out before. On Tuesday night, now they got thousands, thousands of people on Tuesday night waiting to get in the prayer meeting there. Listen, Jairus got on stage. Said, "God, unless you come, nothing's going to happen." This is what happened. So, the verse when he came to the house, he did not let anyone except Peter. John and James, girl's father and mother, when they're all weeping, they come. He comes in, they weeping. Like, 
Let me just finish this statement. When's the last time you wept over a nation? Oh, we'll gossip about it. We'll complain about it, right? When's the last time you've been burned for a nation and wept over a nation? When's the last time you wept over people and circumstances? There's a lot of hurting people out there. A lot of, I'm making people message me and text me and pray for this prayer. I'm like, God, there's a lot of hurting people out there. When's the last time you wept? No weeping, right? They're weeping, like, and they're weeping, and, and he says this: When they came to the house, and they didn't want to intercept Peter, John, and James, because father, and mother, they were weeping late for her. But he said, "Stop it! She's not dead, but what?" And then I like this next verse, sixty-three. They begin to what? Now, how many of you? I think sometimes sarcasm be very cute, right? I think, man, that's very funny, cute. But how many of you just want to slap somebody sarcasm? You don't have to raise your hand, church. I know we've we got to be really direct. Because I believe here this little sarcasm. And Jesus said, She ain't dead. Ha ha, she looked dead to me. She ain't breathing. And if you've been here when you're supposed to be here, she would have died. How many of you ever said that before? If you've been here when you're supposed to be here, and I pray this, this wouldn't have happened. How many of you remember somebody in the Bible that laughed at God? Anybody theologians have me? We don't have to be very smart to know who it was. Anybody know who it was? You would have a child, what'd she say? <laughs> Remember who that was? He said, that a long time ago. <laughs> They're laughing at her, right? He said, she's not dead but asleep. And they began to laugh at him, knowing she had died. He took, however, he took her by the child by the hand and said, What? Yeah. You know, can I tell you what revival is? Revival is bringing life. Back to dead things. I always make a joke. I always say, I wish God would send me to a Christian school, to churches that are alive. And I'm blessed to go in some great Christian schools, great churches. But man, there's times I go and I'm thinking, these things are dead. They ain't moving. And I think about Ezekiel 37. You get home tonight, today. Students, I, I got something you. You ought to go home today. I know some of you don't like reading the Bible and all that kind of stuff. But let me just make this statement. Listen, if you're going to make a decision with your life, you need to make decisions about this Bible. I mean, some of us, we make decisions based on emotions. Everybody been there before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and our emotions jack us up, right? That's right. And, but if you want to go home and read a cool story, read Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel said, God, God said, what do you see? Ezekiel said, I see dead bones. I mean, I go to church and I'm like, Lord, he's dead. And I made it, I made it, I was real one ago. I wish that God would bless me to sing. But that's sometimes, I hate to be a worship leader. I mean, because I have to preach those songs. <laughs> And if they're looking down when I'm preaching, I know they're looking down when I got trying to worship. Like saying, blessed is sure. Like, really? I mean, blessed be your name. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, dead. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, this is boring. I know they're boring. I'm getting boring preaching. This is, this is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even mentioning Jimmy. I'm pretty sure you've done that book. I mean, I'm like, Lord, let's hurt this thing over because I, I know that night is encouraged. I'm not encouraged. But the good thing about Ezekiel, Ezekiel said, what'd you see? Ezekiel said, I see dead bones. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel said, you see dead bones. But I see him out here on me. And he starts speaking. And I'm talking about like neck bone and thigh bone and elbow. And he's like, whoa! <laughs> hey, I think it was, it was Spurgeon said this. God did not make tongue tongue to make bad men good. God can to make dead men alive. Amen. At 28 years of my life, I was dead. 
drinking, partying, everything. And at 20 years of life, God brought a dead thing back to life. And so now you're seeing a byproduct of a dead thing not being good, but a dead thing being alive. And that's what God does. And I'm encouraged as I travel and speak to students and Christian schools to see God sweep in. And when I thought it was dead, it's zero to life come to me. I still believe this. I still believe God is going to move in our nation like we've never seen before. I, I know time's getting bad, but they've been worse. That one time they were burning Bibles at Princeton Harvard. Voltaire said Christian not be around another hundred years. And God brought a speaking move of God. I still believe with all my heart before Jesus comes back, our nation will see one of the greatest moves of God we've ever seen before. And it may not come from a great preacher. It will come from God showing up with all His glory and all His power and changing our nation and bringing dead things back to life. I still believe the same God who died on Friday and rose on Sunday as a friend of mine said, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, King Jesus, is still alive and still on His throne. I still believe like Isaiah 61, He's the healer of the broken heart. He still sets captives free. I believe John 8 through 6, what the sunset free is free indeed. We don't need a 12-step program. I tell you we need one-step program. Jesus, I still believe that He can do what Maripana cannot do, Alcanoff do. I believe He is the healer. He's the one who brings life. I would not waste my time preaching about a dead God. I've seen Him move. I've seen Him do great things. And know this, that our hope is this. We need Jesus to show up in our houses, and our nation, and our churches. I know Marriage are struggling. I know people are having a hard time. But let me tell you something. As Tommy Tennant said, one moment in the presence of God changes everything. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Are you bored with church? Just tell me this morning, you got problems and issues. Can I tell you what you need? You get on your face. As Jairus said, come to my house. Would you stand on your feet with me? Just your heads bowed for a moment, eyes closed. How many of you here to say, you know, Don, nobody's looking, the pastor's not looking, <laughs> nobody's looking. Say, Don, I'm, I'm, I'm that person, man, there's times I think church is boring. Man, there's times that I just think Christianity become boring. If that's you, just lift up your hands, that's me. Hey, Probably all have been there if you want to be honest. If you're here this morning, how many someone lift your hand and say, Don, I'm in this, I'm in this, I'm in this church this morning in 2019. And man, if you only knew the pain and the struggles I'm having in my life right now. I'm going through some stuff. And I, man, I don't need Buffy's counseling. Yeah, I need his wisdom and Jimmy's wisdom, but I just need God to show up. Could you imagine how the Jairus felt? He prayed and prayed and prayed. And Jairus and Jesus stopped. Because the reality is sometimes God has to lay Himself to show His greatest glory. Sometimes God has the better yes. He said, know, the better now, the best yes. Jairus knew he could kill his daughter. But Jairus did not know he could raise her back up again. And sometimes God says no because he won't do a greater yes. If you're here this morning, you say, God, I've been praying and man, I'm hurting and I need... God is so best. You do lift up your hand this morning across this room. Come on, be honest, church. Come on. 
We get ready something that's going to close. How many do you want to see God show up in 2019? I want to see God invade this church and greater community, greater Christian schools. Can I say something? It won't just come from great preaching. It's going to come when God shows up. What happened in Jairus' house when Jesus came to the house? What we need, we need the presence of God to show up. And here's what we're going to Here's the invitation we're going to do. If you want to see God, these altars are steps. They're not, I mean, they're steps. In the Old Testament, they had altars. And altars was then you came to kneel down. Jairus, he came and fell at Jesus' feet. I mean, he made it to him. He fell at his feet and begged and implored, Jesus, if you don't mind, to come to my house. Listen, what Crossway needs in 2019, what Tiffany County needs in 2019, what our nation needs in 2019, all the chaos. We don't need another president. We don't, we don't need it because, I mean, we thank God for the great presence we have. We need a move of God in our nation you cannot legislate morality. I mean, the judges in the wells were presented white gloves to the crime of solo. Man, I long the day, man, to see. I heard stories about how people, when man, was so filled with the gladness of God among eviction miles down the road. The people were coming to church in graves because God's president. That's what I long for. I'm tired of preaching something. We'll see God move. If you're with me in 2019, you know what? Crossway 2019. I know what Jimmy and Buck are going to preach in great sermons, but what we need in 2019, we need God's presence. We walk into the door, we want to sense the presence of God. I've been in church before. You can walk in the door and sense God's there. And most of them are praying in churches. And if that's you and you want to step out of your seat and say, God, I'm like Jairus. I need you to come to my home. I want you to come to our church. God, I need you in 2019. I want you to invade my life. And I'm begging to come. If that's you, just want to step out of your seat. I want to come this morning. You just want to kneel down and say, God, in 2019, would you come to cross? Would you show your presence? Just want to step out and you can. We'll pray in a moment. Father, I come before you. God, I preach this morning what you laid on my heart. God, I realize unless you move, that's going to happen. And I'm praying, Father, as this morning's invitation to get ready to give, I pray that what I know, Jimmy and Buffy are great men. I know they both love you, and I know they want to see this church grow. And God, we've got all kinds of conferences and books on church growth and all that, but I realize the greatest church growth is when you show up. I remember an old man telling me one time, he said, you know, Don, we can invite everybody to come, but unless we invite God to come, nothing's going to matter. The truth is, we can invite thousands of people to come across way, but unless you show up, it's really not, everybody's not going to stay. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't just need another sermon. We need a move of God. Father, people are so filled. Most people forgot what Buffy preached on October, and the reality is they're going to forget probably what I preached on two weeks from now, but if you show up, they'll never forget. There's been moments I've been in places where I'll never forget what happened in June. I never forget other times where I've been in your presence and like, it changed me. I remember being in those places like, I will never forget that. So I pray this morning the God, you would burn people to say, God, we want to see you move in 2019. We want to see things happen that are unexplainable. We want to see the power of God move in our lives. Lord, there's some people this morning that they're hurting, and God, they need intervention. I know that, Father, God, you can change anything. We don't, they don't need religion. They, don't just, they need a God to invade their life. I pray this morning you do things that are amazing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. My brother sings. If you just want to come, if you want to pray, how do you want to do? Invitations 294. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the 
master today Whiter than snow Wash me just now As in thy presence Humbly I bow Have thine own way Has a deep burden. I need somebody to pray 